0: Welcome to Highlight Church. Let's show some love to our first-time guests. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Well, we're in week three of a series entitled Plugged In. And uh, we got uh, two, well, we have two co-stars in today's story that we're going to preach about today. Um, One guy being King David. Uh, the other one, his best friend, Jonathan. It's going to be an amazing uh, message that we have lined up. Last week, uh, Mrs. Kyra Redding brought the house down. Let's show some love. Thank God for her. I was tempted to bring her up here this week because I know I'm not as, as good. But she learned everything from me, so <laughs> kind of got to weigh your options. Let's just take a vote right now. Who'd rather me preach? Uh, all I heard was, ah. Uh, who'd rather Kyra preach? Uh, who'd rather Kyra preach? Oh, wow. She's in a worse situation than me. No, no, you're, you're great, babe. Well, yeah, so we're going to talk about King David. Plugged in. Um, so we're, we're in a season right now as a church where we've not stepped away from Sundays. Obviously, we're here together this morning. But it was time to take that next step and to get plugged into community. Um, And as a follower of Christ, it's it's about more than just showing up for a public worship service, getting together on a Saturday or Sunday. Um, I believe that you find victory Monday through Saturday with your church. And so uh, the church is actually the body of Christ. It's not a building. It's the people that make up the church. So... um, Let's go ahead and take 17 seconds to say hello to your neighbor. Say hello, give a hug, give a kiss on the cheek, tell them how good they look. Has to be 17 seconds. So King David was uh, most historians and theologians believe that by the age of anywhere between thirteen and seventeen, um, God called him to be king, so he sent the prophet Samuel to to anoint King David. The word "anoint" pretty much means uh, to pour or to smear oil, and so whenever you would smear oil on someone or or even a piece of furniture. You're, you're pretty much setting that person or setting that item aside for the use of God, for God's glory and for God's purpose. Um, and so we believe between 13 and 17, God called David. He actually said that, um, I found a man after my own heart. It's funny that God talks about uh, a teenager like this. He said, a man after my own heart. Um, at the time, the king of Israel, the first king of Israel, his name was Saul. Saul was tall. Saul was prideful. Um, Saul started out well with the Lord, but eventually um, he ended up in disobedience. And so because of that, the Lord removed his spirit from Saul, and he says, I'm done with Saul. So the prophet Samuel is heartbroken. Samuel's the last judge, prophet-type dude. There's a transition going on in Israel. Um, Israel is in the promised land uh, they don't want uh, a theocracy anymore. They don't just want priests and, and prophets to lead them. They want a king like the rest of the nations. So God says, I'm going to give you a king. And, he, and King Saul is chosen. And so God says, okay, this is not going to turn out well in the long run. And oftentimes in life, that's how life can be. We want something so bad, God is like, I'm trying to tell you that this isn't going to turn out good in the long run. But because God is such a gracious God, he has a plan in store, and he chooses King David at the age of 15. Now, King David is a, is a shepherd, and uh, he has the heart of God. King David writes most of your psalms. The book of Psalms is in the middle of your Bible. Um, and I believe he, he penned maybe a quarter to a half of those psalms when he was a shepherd. He was serving when he was not seen. But just because you're not seen by man, it doesn't mean that God doesn't see you. And So God still chooses to elevate him to a place of leadership and kingship. Just teaches me. I remember when I started out in ministry, you didn't see me. I was in the back in the kids room laying down mats and praying over the mats before the kids and the parents dropped the kids off in the kids ministry. Now I get to experience the greatest season of my my life leading amazing people and so he's anointed by God to be king. He's anointed but he's not appointed. There's always a process of appointment. You are anointed when you get saved. You're set aside for Jesus Christ. God wants to elevate you to a place of influence and a place of power but there's a process that you must engage in order to get to that place of power because he has to humble you and so Then David kills Goliath. Saul, at one point, they're uh, up against the Philistine, uh, the Philistine army, in which they had been for most of Saul's administration. They're standing at a threshold. It's Goliath, the champion of the Philistines, and it's nobody, the champion of the Israelites, and they're all just kind of hiding back. And Goliath is like, you suck. You can't defeat me. There's nobody in your army that can beat me, blah, 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 for a month and a half. And the people are, of God are hiding under the shade. And so David, who's basically a pizza boy at this time, his father, Jesse, says, hey, go, go to the war. And I want you to deliver, deliver bread and cheese. Right. Wow. So David comes. He's the anointed king. La, la, la. And he sees Goliath taunting the children of Israel. You won't be me, blah, 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 blah. And David's like, man. Why, why is the army just kind of standing back? What, what's going on? And Saul says, you know, I'll give free taxes to the family. I'll give a wife. And he, he, gives, he says a third blessing. I forget it right now. But free taxes to the to the man's family. And I'll give my daughter uh, as the man's wife, whoever will step up and defeat Goliath. Right. And so David is like, man, I've taken out a, a bear. I've taken out a lion. And this this uncircumcised Philistine shall fall as well. This obstacle that seems to stop other Christians, other believers, it's not going to stop me. It's not going to stop me. And so he goes up. He takes five smooth stones. He uses one stone because he perfects his art. He perfects his gift. He studies. He practices. He takes that sucker, One shot, one shot. He does it. He takes Goliath's sword. He's actually going to use Goliath's sword in the future one day. And he cuts his neck off and he takes it back to King Saul. and he says, here's your, you got kids in here. Here's your stupid giant's head. And then he does that. And so eventually they promote David to intern in the king's palace. But the Bible says when they got back in town after David and Goliath, that the women were cheering and cheering and they were going back in town on their horses and stuff. And then and, and the women said, Saul kills his thousands. David kills his ten thousands. And so the Bible says that Saul kept his eye on David from that day forth. Yeah. As to kill him. So at that point, because jealousy crept in, the spirit of God removed himself from Saul And it was on David. And so Saul would be tormented, anger, bitterness, can't rest at night. And so David would would come in and and play for him. It says here in 1 Samuel 16, 18, it says, One of the servants said to Saul, one One of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Not only that, he is a brave warrior, a man of war, and has good judgment. He is also a fine-looking young man, and the Lord is with him. Saul would be tormented by evil spirits because he opened his heart to to this bitterness and this anger. And so David would come in like Sam uh, with the anointing of God on his life. He would play the harp, or he would play the... the, the, Back then, it was kind of like the guitar, the harp, and then uh, Saul would be set free. But then Saul would get crazy again and he would try to throw a knife uh, and take David out. And then he would get crazy again and try to throw another knife and take David out because he just couldn't overcome this jealousy and this bitterness and this anger. And so now we have David, Mr. Nice Guy, Mr. Perfect, Mr. Good Looking, talented heart player, brave warrior, man of war good judgment. He's doing all the right things. He's the right person, but he's in the wrong place. He's in a debacle that's outside of his power. He's crossed all of his T's. He's dotted all of his I's. He's in a debacle, and he needs some help. David is in a place where he doesn't prefer to be, but he's there nonetheless. I think we all get in seasons where we are attempting to do what's right, but for whatever reason, we just can't seem to get over the hump. We're trying to be a better husband. We're trying to be better wives. Some of us kids in here, we're, we're trying to be better sons and daughters. Okay, got something feeling me there. And, uh, but we just continue to end up behind obstacles. Some of us are there right now in our thinking our actions are showing forth, but we're still, there's something about our self-esteem. Uh, we want to have confidence, but we don't have confidence. Uh, we, 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 we want clarity within our confusion, but it seems as though we stay in a constant state of confusion. Um, maybe even our careers. We're there because we have to pay bills, but we don't want to be there. And we want to be excellent. But unless we do this, we can't provide for ourselves or our families. Um, Maybe it's our finances. Maybe we've made some decisions in the past. And now today our credit is affected. Now we're in debt over our heads. And we don't want to be here, but we're here. We're trying to make the right decisions, but, man, how am I supposed to pay down debt when I'm barely making ends meet? We're trying to do the right things, but... Uh, we're in a debacle. We're in a debacle of sorts. Can, can anybody uh, uh, understand where I'm coming from here? We can, we can clap that up. We're in a debacle of sorts. What I've come to find out is that God is not in the business of solving our problems. He's not in the business of solving our problems. Time and time throughout scripture, you find, you find this this reality where we we see a miracle, we see instantaneous miracles take place, but most of the time instantaneous miracles are built on the foundation of incremental obedience and process. So it stacks up and then it leads to the miracle. And so God is not in the business of solving our problems, but he is in the business of sending us people to help us overcome our problems and celebrate our progress. Sending us people and celebrating our progress. So this is what we're going to talk about today. I want to give us three practical ways that we can experience the power of connection. Three practical ways to experience the power of connection and to optimize the relationships in our lives. God is calling the church more than ever in this time to connect, to do community, and to push each other forward. Join me in 1 Samuel chapter 20. If you have your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 20. Verse 1 says this. It says, David now fled from Nioth and Ramah and found Jonathan. Jonathan is Saul's son. What have I done? He exclaimed. What is my crime? How have I offended your father that he is so determined to kill me? That's not true, Jonathan protested. You're not going to die. He always tells me everything he's going to do, even the little things. I know my father wouldn't hide something like this from me. It just isn't so. Then David took an oath before Jonathan and said, Your father knows perfectly well about our friendship." So he has said to himself, David's like, I know your pops. He's gone crazy. He said to himself, I'm telling you what, I'm assessing what he's assessing. This is what I see. He said to himself, I won't tell Jonathan. Why should I hurt him? But I swear to you that I am only a step away from death. I swear it by the Lord and by your own soul. Tell me. What I can do to help you. Tell me what I can do to help you. Jonathan exclaimed. If you're going to experience the power of your connections, um, especially with those that you're called to be connected to, you have to, number one, learn how to be concerned. you got to be concerned. I think in America today we we struggle with pure concern. I know sometimes I'm... uh, you know, in a park or in the mall or in a store, and, you know, I walk by someone, hey, how are you, and I'm good, hey, how are you, and we just keep going, or hey, good to see you, just keep going, or we may nod ahead and, and keep going, um, and sometimes I, I ask myself, do, do I truly care about how that person's doing, or was it just something that we've gotten into the habit of doing as as people, hey, hey how are you, and or do they t- truly care about how, how I'm doing? Um, maybe, maybe I need them to care. Maybe, maybe I need them to stop me. Or sometimes I scroll Facebook, and uh, I'll see a friend who posts a very unfortunate status. Uh, maybe someone passed away, or maybe they lost their job, or maybe they're in the hospital sick. And then I'll look at the, the replies or the responses to their status, and you'll see like 37 replies 500 likes or hearts or angry faces or whatever. And the replies are like, uh, praying for you. Uh, uh, call me if you need me. My thoughts are with you. I'm praying for you. And I'm not trying to judge, but I oftentimes ask myself, like, being nosy, are, are you really stopping on the side of the road after you sent that status, taking three or four minutes, and are we praying for that person? Yeah. Wow. Like, are we truly stopping taking three or four minutes and closing our eyes, focusing on God and saying, Lord, I see this status on Facebook. I know they're sick. Jesus, we just lift them. I lift them up to you. Blah, 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 blah. Amen. I, I, I highly doubt that we're doing that. I, I highly doubt. I'm not doing it. I'm not saying that you're, you're like me, but I know I'm not doing it. So I, I just think we just we, we type it to make us feel good, but it really has no impact in the lives of those that we respond to. What I've come to find out is that we are technically connected, but in reality, we're socially isolated. We're technically connected, but in reality, we're socially isolated. And technology will have us to believe that we have more connections than what we truly do have. What I think it is, is that We haven't really been able to close the gap between what it means to be loved, liked, really, and known. There's a difference between being loved, which now we've translated as liked, and known. All right, so um, we've come to define love as, hey, if I post something and I get 20 likes or 15 or, or, or however many we expect to get, they, they like me. They love me. Or if I, if I invite somebody to this conference or to this business venture, or to this meeting or to this party, if 100 people show up and I was expecting 120, yes, I am liked. Most of the people that showed up, they love me. If I invite 100, but only 20 show up, I must not be liked or loved. We, we've come to associate what God has always meant to be pure and, and genuine and holy with something that's superficial. Verses, verses, wanting to be known. Now, in Scripture, the word love means agape. It means unconditional acceptance. Before I even know you, that's love. That's the most noblest form of love, Agape unconditional acceptance before I even know you. A B definition to that is that I don't know you, but I want what's best for you. And to be truly concerned for somebody is this. It's to want to build with you. It's to want to know you. It's to want to see the best interest that God has for your life play out in reality. We've come to struggle with this gap Jonathan was concerned about David, and David needed Jonathan to be concerned about him. So there are seasons where you're Jonathan and I'm David. There are seasons where I'm David and you're Jonathan. I need you to be concerned about me, then sometimes I need to be concerned about you. A true, pure, and genuine concern. Now, this is interesting to me, because David is an outsider, If we follow uh, monarchs and and kingships and all this stuff, uh, uh, Jonathan is prince, which means he's next in line naturally to be king, right? God has chosen David to be king because Jesus Christ is going to come through David. David's the chosen king. Isn't that amazing that God can choose you to do something special just purely based upon your character? It has little to do with who you're connected with. It's about your character. It's about your excellence. It's about your work ethic. It's about your focus. It doesn't matter what your past says about you. It's about your focus. It's about your determination, your faith. You can do great things for God. You don't need a silver spoon. David's an outsider. Jonathan accepts him in when he doesn't have to. If anything, I'm Jonathan. I'm like, this guy's a pure threat. I'm with my pops. But no, 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 I didn't give you context. First Samuel 18 tells us when David comes back with the head of Goliath and he talks to Saul. Jonathan is out somewhere in the crowd watching this young man who, who just comes. Jonathan's just kind of sad. Here you go, King Saul. Thank you, Jonathan. Um, Who is your father? Jesse's my father. You shall serve with me in the palace. You shall not live with your father again. Jonathan's like, I like this guy. I like this guy. He liked him so much that if you go back and read it, you got to read your Bible. It's amazing. First Samuel 18 tells us that he takes off his robe, his belt, his sword. And I forget the third thing, but he takes off these four things and he puts them on David. And the Bible says in first Samuel 18 that he loves David as he loves himself. He loves David before David has done anything for him. Shouldn't the church be as such? I don't know you, but God, by golly, you're created in the image of God, and I love you. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. We have to learn to be concerned. And so uh, we were at a uh, uh, coffee the other night. Kyra and I, with a lovely couple. Name shall remain anonymous to protect the victims and the suspect of the story. <laughs> um, so we were at coffee the other night, and, and we got to a point in the discussion, uh, this, this wonderful young lady uh, was speaking about a coworker. Uh, they both attend the church. And uh, she said, you know, it had been a very tough week. She was done with the people, done with work. She was very emotional. She was just done, almost to tears. And uh, she went to lunch. The rest of her day went on. She took another break. And at one point, she comes back to her desk. And uh, she's going to have to correct me after this. She says she knows two languages outside of English. I think it's Russian and French. Correct me later. I know you're in here. If I got it right, give me a, give me a thumbs up. So she knows Russian and French. She comes back to her desk. She sees a note. And I'm going to add this because I don't remember all the details. A note and a gift, maybe. But the note. The greeting was written in Russian, and the rest of it was written in English. Um, But at any rate, she reads the note. She thinks, wow, this friend takes time to learn a Russian greeting just to show me love, to show me that she's seen me, to show me that she's concerned, to show me that she cares. And it brings tears to her eye. It fills her heart. With joy, and this is the punchline. This is what she said that blew my mind at coffee. She said, It feels so good to know that I work and that I get the chance to work with a Christian. The world's not saying that anymore. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It feels so good to know. I'm getting chills saying that that I work with a Christian. I work with someone that looks like Christ, that looks like they follow Christ. And because of that, I'm receiving a breakthrough in the middle of my week when it's so heavy, when it's so tough. It feels so good to know that I work with a Christian. I wonder, (laughs) is the church concerned enough for people? When we become concerned, the church will fill up. When we become concerned, our neighborhoods will change. When we become concerned, our cities will change. When we become concerned, the politics will change. When we become concerned, the school system will change. We got to be concerned. I challenged our lead team not too long ago. I said, man, look, people are going through hell Monday through Friday. It's time to start texting and loving people throughout the week because chances are their supervisors aren't doing it. We have to be exceptional. All right, let's go on to read here verse five. Verse five says this. David replied, tomorrow we celebrate the new moon festival. I've always eaten with the king on this occasion, but tomorrow I'll hide in the field and stay there until the evening of the third day. If your father asks where I am, tell him I ask permission to go home to Bethlehem for for an annual family sacrifice. If he says, fine, you will know all is well. But if he is angry and loses his temper, you will know he is determined to kill me. Show me this loyalty as my sworn friend, for we made a solemn pact before the Lord. Or kill, me before if, or kill me yourself if I have sinned against your father. But please don't betray him to me. Never, Jonathan exclaimed. You know that if I had the slightest notion that my father was planning to kill you, I would tell you at once. Then David asked. How will I know whether or not your father is angry? Come out to the field with me, Jonathan replied. And they went out there together. Then Jonathan told David, I promise by the Lord, the God of Israel, that by this time tomorrow or the next day at the latest, I will talk to my father and let you know at once how he feels about you. If he speaks favorably about you, I will let you know. But if he is angry and wants, to, wants you kill, may the Lord strike me and even kill me, If I don't warn you so you can escape and live, we'll stop right there. Number two, if you're going to experience the power of connection, you have to be in communication. I hope you all taking notes because we don't win on Sunday. We win when we go back on Tuesday and review them. It's probably the reason why you're not experiencing victory because we don't remember what God has told us on Sunday. So you got to be in communication. I love this. Good communication, any list that you research, and you you research healthy, thriving relationships, good communication is always going to be in the top two or top three. We we know this. We all are pretty competent and and smart individuals in this room. I love it because in 1 Samuel 29, verse 9 and verse 12, Jonathan assures David four times within two verses that I will be in constant communication with you about this situation. And so, not only is good communication, but consistent communication is a game changer. Some of us were raised not communicating, we were raised in a context where we could not communicate our our ideas, our dreams, um, our aspirations. For fear that we would be shot down. We could not give our opinion. If an adult spoke, we had to shut up. And it it tended to happen the older that we got. Some of us saw bad examples where uh, the reason we struggle financially a lot of times is because it's rooted. It's really not your decision making. It's it's based upon an experience that you saw or the way things were practiced in, in your home. For some of us, Um, We never saw our our dad and our moms talk about finances. We just know that he brought the bacon home, she brought some of the bacon home, they paid bills, they made it happen. But we never knew their credit scores. We never knew the debt that they incurred. Um, For some of us, we saw abuse, domestic violence, domestic abuse. Um, For some of us, we saw where our mom was the, dominant figure in the home and our dad didn't carry the mantle of father or man in the house or our dads were the dominant figure and everything that that was that we did as a family it centered around his desire for everything and so as a result we grow up with communication issues I've talked time and time again with, with people throughout the years I just don't know how to communicate my feelings where chances are you didn't have a context or an environment where it was healthy enough for you to communicate your feelings. There's a need for someone to be in constant communication with you at all times, and that communication needs to be empowering and effective. I remember before we got married, Kyra and I discussed everything about finances. I knew everything that she had ever done. She knew all the debt that was coming into into the marriage that I was bringing in. She knew my credit. I knew her credit. We discussed purity. She had a past before Christ. I had a past before Christ. But we're not going to bring that past into our present and into our marriage. The Bible says that every person, excuse me, kids, every person that you have intimacy with, you become one with that individual. So if you have intimacy with an individual, you are now bringing them into your marriage. Therefore, God has to do a refining work. Jesus delivers you, He sets you free. He gives you a new start. You don't have to enter into marriage with that. I don't know who I'm speaking to, but I just felt on my heart to release that. Uh, We discuss everything like what our date nights are going to look like. Date nights have to be discussed if you're in a marriage. And when we go on our date nights, a lot of times we're not just celebrating. We discuss our concerns. Well, you said this the other night. You said this the other night. And it's always her. Complaining about what I've done. <laughs> I just want to enjoy my tacos and this nice ambiance and atmosphere. Right? And so, and I say, well, she'll ask me, well, how am I doing? You're doing great, babe. Don't want to waste time. The consistent communication needs to be effective and empowering. In order for communication to be effective and empowering, you need four things. Number one, you need to, we need to learn how to listen. We need to learn how to listen. Um, James 119 says this, says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen slow." to speak. I once heard, I've once heard it said that there's a reason why God gave us uh, two ears and one mouth. And then you have to have encouraging communication. I love it because Jonathan is listening to David. What's going on? Tell me. I want to know. Then he encourages him uh, we have Ephesians not two eight one through nine. We have Ephesians four twenty nine, which says this: Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps. Each word a gift. That's really Ephesians four twenty nine. The message we're going to use that verse later. Two eight one through nine. And then it has to be affirming. Abu and Bobby, I need you on the stage, please. Let's give it up for Abu and Bobby, everybody. It has to be affirming. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says this, So speak encouraging words to one another. Build up hope. So you will all be together in this. No one left out. No one left behind. That's the message. So speak encouraging words. Build each other up in your communication. No foul language. No dirty language. Build each other up. And then fourth, we have to pray for people. First Timothy 2.1 says this in LT. I urge you first of all to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Give thanks for them. Now, I know that this is not real. I can't just move you how I want to move you. But, you know, what I've come to find out is that uh, when I have a a group of men around me that will listen, that will encourage, uh, that will affirm. And that will pray. So Abu is listening. I need you. Yeah, I'm a good guy. Chances are I don't make that many mistakes, but I need you. I'm in a debacle right now. I'm sick. My finances are out of order. I just made a dr- drastic mistake. I got a bad habit. I got a bad addiction. I need you to listen. I need you to encourage. Yeah. I'm down. I'm lonely. I'm broken. I'm a man. I'm a leader. I need you to encourage. I need you to lift me up. I need you to affirm me. Tell me I'm heading in the right direction. Tell me I'm doing well, even when I'm not. (laughs) Tell me. And I need you to pray. So when you you listen, now you guys got to do this because I'm not going to do this. When you listen, when you encourage, when you affirm, when you pray, I need y'all to lift me over this now. How y'all go do this? You ready? When you listen, when you encourage, now, nah, don't grab my leg. I don't know what are y'all. We go do this. When you listen, encourage, affirm. You help me to leap. Let's go again. You help me to, to leap. Come leap. We go go back. Nah, let, let's not do that. I'm scared. We can do it. You help me to leap. Woo! Let's give it up. Amazing. No, I'm good. Give me some love. Jesus Christ. That was scary. Let's give it up for Abu and Bobby. When you're in constant communication with those that God has called you to be connected with, Jonathan is helping David to leap over Saul and the plans of the enemy. These hurdles are just hurdles, and you can't jump over these things by yourself. This is the power of the plug. This is the power of your current. Week number two, check out the podcast. This is the power of connection. These hurdles can't take you out when you're in communication. Last point. Verse 14, 1 Samuel 20. And may you treat me with the faithful love of the Lord as long as I live. But if I die, treat my family with this faithful love. Jonathan is saying to David, even when the Lord destroys all your enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan knows that David's the man. And he knows that chances are he has to serve with his father. And one day he's going to die in war. And at that point, David is going to assume the kingship of Judah first The smaller kingdom first, Judah, two tribes. Then he becomes the king of Israel, 10 tribes later on, at the age of 33. Okay? First, Judah at the age of 30, when Jesus starts his ministry at 30. Then he becomes king of Israel at 33, when Jesus consummates his calling at the age of 33 as the savior of the world. Just a little types and shadows parallels there. We're gonna do a series next year called Types and Shadows where we're going to reveal Jesus in the Old Testament, okay? But that's next year. That's going to be awesome. So anyway, may the Lord be with you. Treat my family with this faithful love, even when the Lord destroys all of us. 16, uh, so Jonathan made a solemn pact with David, saying, may the Lord destroy all your enemies. And Jonathan made David reaffirm his vow of friendship again, for David loved, for Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. Point number three, I got about eight minutes to work this. Are we good out there? Number three, you have to be in covenant. Got to be in covenant. If you're going to experience the power of connection. (coughs) Sorry. The word covenant is barit in Hebrew, B-E-R-I-T. And it means alliance, agreement, pledge or friendship, alliance, agreement, pledge, or friendship. Jonathan and David made a generational pact or covenant. They, they tied themselves to one another. I'm with you. You're with me. You're going to make it. I'm going to make it. We're going to make it together. You have to be in covenant. Um, I know before we moved here, Um, even though you're born in Patterson, New New Jersey, um, raised in Florida, born and raised in Florida, we moved here with the heart and the mindset that our graves and tombstones are going to be in Gaithersburg. God is going to bury our bodies here Um, because we've made a covenant with this city and with this area, this entire region. We said, God, you can, you can count on the Reddings to be here for people. We're going to make a covenant with people before they even know us. And you're going to bury us here somewhere between Gaithersburg and Potomac. So anyway, <laughs> Potomac. Um, so you're going to bury us here. Your marriage is a covenant. Whether you know it or not, I'm not the one to judge you where you are. There's grace even beyond a divorce. God still has a plan for you. Um, but when you enter into marriage, that is a covenant. That's why you make your vows to one another. God wants to bless and consummate those vows. We don't have time to dig into marriage today. So Kyra and I, we're in a covenant, lifelong partnership, but also our marriage, we understand is built on the purpose of God. And the purpose of our marriage is to reach people and to show them Jesus Christ, not to pay bills. Not to build a large 401k or if you're a nonprofit, 403b. Not to build a large church just for the sake of building a large church, but to activate the church to have covenant with the city that it's in. All right, so you got to be in covenant. What I like about this is that there are two main covenants that the scripture hangs on, okay? So the Old Testament. The word testament means covenant. Now, primarily, we got a lot of different covenants in the scripture, but primarily the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, is composed of what we call the Mosaic Law. Over 600 laws. When the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt, Egypt means sin. When they were saved from their sin, God gave them a law for various reasons. One reason, to set them apart from the rest of the world. The word church, ecclesia, means called out. From the world. You got Old Testament, New Testament parallel there. So he gave them the law. This covenant was conditional, it was bilateral, one party, two party. God, the children of Israel. If you do this, I'll bless you. If you do this, you're cursed. Right? The old covenant. Now, there's another covenant that it primarily hangs on. This is the new covenant. This is what we call the dispensation of grace. The new covenant is based on the grace of God. Through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's greater than the law. It fulfills the law. How? Because Jesus lived a perfect sinless life and he fulfilled the law that we can't fulfill. He died a death that we deserve to die. So this is the grace of God. This is the new covenant under the son, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 tells us this. It tells us that God saved you by his grace. Grace is a free gift that you can't earn. That's what the word grace means. It means that no matter how great you are, you can put a billion dollars into philanthropic work. You can go and adopt the, the most poorest orphans in the world. If you don't have the grace of God, if you don't have the blood of Jesus Christ covering you through faith, you don't make it to heaven when you die. The grace of God is a work that only Jesus Christ could do. And the only thing you can do with the grace of God is say, I receive it. I believe it. Save me. Set me free. I follow you. The only thing you can do is believe it by faith. And God has offered this free salvation to you through the work of Jesus on the cross. It's the new covenant. It's not based on conditions. I forgot that. Thank you, Holy Spirit. It's unconditional. It's unconditional it's unilateral which means that when jesus came he set his eyes on you and he says i'm doing this for you no matter what you do i still do this for you oh man it's so good he's such a good god come on jesus is good and you can't take credit for this it is the gift it is a gift from god salvation is not a reward For the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. This is Paul talking to a Gentile audience. And so I'm closing up here in a a second. So it's funny. They make a generational pact, a generational covenant. Jonathan ends up dying in war with his father, Saul. You're going to go with your pops, right? He has a son. If you read your Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 4. Jonathan has a son. His name is Mephibosheth. Yes. By this time, David is, in fact, king. So we, we know that David's going to become king, right? Yeah. David normally goes annually, and he checks Saul's and Jonathan's descendants to see who's in the land that he can serve. 2 Samuel 4 tells us about Mephibosheth, who is a paraplegic. He's paralyzed from the waist down, yeah. if I got that right. Anyway, so we see here at the age of 5 when there was war breaking out and Jonathan and David were being defeated a maid a handmaid takes Mephibosheth she takes the baby or the boy she trips she drops him and he becomes paralyzed now Mephibosheth is a grown man They find him they bring him to the palace Mephibosheth comes in and he says what what do you want with a dead dog with a dead dog like me king David and David's like, hold on, you don't, you don't understand. Like me and you, we go way back. I saw you when you were Silas's age. I loved you before you even knew me. And, and he says, um, come on in here, man. Sit down at the table. You'll never go back to that shack again. You're going to always have room at the king's table where there is food, where there is drink, where there is water. And it reminds me, David in this time represents Jesus, Mephibosheth, oh, Jesus Christ. Mephibosheth in this time represents us, broken, paralyzed. And, and Jesus tells us that there is always room at the king's table. If you need peace, if you need joy, if you need freedom, if you need purpose, if you need community, if you need connection, there's always room at the king's table. Let's praise God for that. Because David was in covenant we are called to be in covenant with each other, John thirteen, thirty-four through thirty-five. So now I am giving you a new commandment under this new covenant, church. Love each other just as I've loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Is my life dedicated to your life? Or am I so myopic? Is my life dedicated to your life? You committed to my well-being and prosperity. I'm committed to your well-being and prosperity. That's what the church is. We have to be in covenant. If I'm winning, you're winning. If you're losing, I'm losing. We're going to get back up. We're going to win together. If you're going to experience the power of connection, you have to be in covenant with each, with, with somebody in this room. Yeah. You have to be in covenant. Let's pray. Yeah. Father, we love you, God. <clears throat> God, we ask that you would continue to do a work in our hearts. Enable us to experience the power of connection by being concerned for our fellow man and brother and sister in Christ. Help us to be in constant empowering and effective communication. Help us, Lord, to be in covenant with each other. Allow us not to leave this room, this church today, without entering into covenant with our fellow man and brother and saying, hey, I'm for you, you for me. For the next 30, 40, 50 years, we're going to do this thing by faith. Thank you, Jesus, for light groups. Continue to enable people to sign up and find true life. It's in your name we pray. Amen.